You love true crime stories, and obviously you love podcasts. Do you also love reading? If so, you need to know about a new book coming out called Knock Knock, the debut of author Stephen Thomas. It's a fictional story about two true crime podcasters focusing on the crimes of the notorious Knock Knock killer. But as they get closer and closer to finding the identity of the killer, they start getting threats to shut down the podcast or they would suffer the same fate as his previous victims. The book is self-published and comes out Tuesday, May 9th. It's available for pre-order from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and many other booksellers. Check the link in our show notes to get this in your hot little hands. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, what's up, baby girl? You know, just living the dream. Uh... Really, because sometimes you complain, and it would seem that you don't think like you're living the dream every once in a while. Me? Complain? Yeah. Not ever. I must say, that's one of her family's favorite pastimes, so I can't really, and if any of her family's listening to this, um, I know actually one of them is a patron, so, um, you know, it's uh, that's what you guys do. So, yeah, I, I would say it's your We are. We're too. a group of complainers. Yeah, yeah. That's okay, though. I'm, but things are good. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting ready to go out for a girl's day, celebrate some friends' birthdays. You look adorable. Well, thank you. Yeah, you got the, your shirt on Amazon. People on uh, the reviews say like they love your Amazon addiction. And it's like it's not like we make a ton of money on those things. It's just generally things that like Allison really likes. So. Well, we, we could share the shirt of mine. Yeah, should we? Yeah, I'm not a shopper by any means. So pretty much my wardrobe comes from Amazon. And my shorts are from Target, which you probably can't even see. <laughs> generally, it's Target, Amazon, something along those lines. Yeah, I'm just not a shopper. So I live in scrubs and I live in workout clothes. And uh, my shirt was like $35 at a concert. So, oh, hell, hoity-toity. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. It says uh, science is real. It's from They Might Be Giants. They mm-hmm. have a uh, it's small band, very, very small band. But I loved them since I was like in high school or actually even before high school, I think. And if you know the hot dog song on Mickey Mouse Club, <laughs> they did that one. Hot dog, hot dog, hot diggity dog. <laughs> wah, 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 hot wah, dog. Wah. Yes. And they've got a bunch of like kids songs. So they went like, they did like regular fun poppy songs like back in the, in the 90s. 90s. Yeah. Then they went to kids because they have all these awesome songs like the sun is a massive incandescent gas a gigantic nuclear furnace they're a lot of fun they're upbeat the concert was a great time it was you know there's you can take your kids to it it's it's all good clean fun yeah even though they don't allow people under 17 or something yeah it's a weird it's a weird rule they have i think it's like something with liabilities whatever um i do like clean things i know sometimes i drop f-bombs but we were just watching that one comic nate bargatze yeah he's great and i love that we could put him on in our family room and the kids can walk around and i don't have to be like oh pause it there's a brand new special of his on amazon he has a a couple of specials on netflix but there's a brand new one on amazon all pretty good if you like comedians and he's right at our age and i just find him dry and funny and like the things he's saying i'm like i know he's telling the truth right now like in one of his like the the one thing that i remember is something about a cow a horse a horse he was driving by Uh, and i I think i wouldn't tell the story oh okay i mean you could uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil something. It was just a quick thing. I was going to say the horse was laying down. He didn't realize that horses lay down. So he assumed it was dead. And then he's telling his friend the whole story about the, the dead horse he saw. And then on their way back, they pass it and the horse is standing up and it's quite well. <laughs> and all he pictured was how, what do you do with a dead horse? What do you do when your horse dies? Yeah. So he's doing all these thoughts and then he comes back. He's like, oh, I guess they didn't I have guess to get buried. horses lay down. Like, is that a long story, Mike? It's, no, asshole. it's not about the length of the story. I was asshole. worried like it's way fun or when Nate Bargatze says it. So now you've ruined that joke. Basically. So you're saying I'm not funny is basically what I'm hearing right no, now. Well, he's a professional comedian, so I'm not as funny as him either. Oh, I thought I was as funny as a professional. It's comedian. It's not about the story. Dipstick. It's how he delivers it. Okay, Allison. Jeez, people understand. So 
Uh, this, this is what I live with. Yeah, yeah, whatever. So um, thanks for so much for listening. We appreciate it. Every single week we come at you with a brand new episode, by the way. We do. And Sunday. I will give a quick discre- disclaimer. We've been talking about you doing our next episode, but I am doing this one. That was my wish. You've I stolen asked, my thunder the past I did. Like, few weeks. I did. I was excited by this one. Not that, you know, it's just I wanted to hear what Mike's take was. I didn't want to wait another week. So don't think Mike is being lazy. He does have his story done for next week. And we know that I can be lazy sometimes. So that's yeah, completely within yeah. the realm of possibility. Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. But um, hey, you know what? If you've listened to us like three times, let's say three times, it's probably time to put out and uh, leave us a review or a five-star you know, rating somewhere, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever, wherever you're listening to us. If you like us, us five-stars would be appreciated. Yes, very much so. If anything less, then go ahead and forget about it. And if it. you hate it, just walk away from your computer. Set down your phone. Just don't leave yeah, that review. Don't, don't, don't. It'll be bad. Bad karma is what it is. Bad juju. But um, if you want good juju, here's a good review that uh, we just came out with or somebody somebody wrote. Uh, I really enjoy listening and learning about the new cases. A lot that I haven't heard before. Definitely trying to catch up and listen to all the episodes. It's my go-to while working. Gets me through the day. They do wonderful research on their cases and enjoy hearing Allison's Amazon addiction as well. Mike and Allison are a great couple to listen to and they make a wonderful couple. Definitely have a lot of great jokes. Oh, see, I am funny, you jerk. Well, I mean, she did say Mike first, so I imagine she means me. And then like, you're also kind of like my sidekick. <laughs> oh, thanks. Although I do try to say Allison and Mike a lot because you like kind of run the show here. Well, also my name comes first in the alphabet. Yeah. And if you ever message us on Instagram, you're talking to me. I try to say Mike every time, but Allison doesn't like it because, uh, you know, I don't know. Oh, I don't mind. Um, There are a lot of our posts come from me i just send them to you to post oh yeah pretty much all of them yeah but i'm the creative it. genius of this group uh let's like call that. a spade a spade here something like that yeah sure so on Ready that note shall we get going yeah. let's do it so this story is a listener suggestion this is from veronica so thank you so much veronica do you want to sing anything like you did for our patrons because there is a veronica song too uh how does that go veronica Oh, that's not as good. The Roxanne one from last yeah, week. Yeah, we had our last listener suggestion on Patreon was from Roxanne. So, of course, Mike had to sing it. And hopefully I, I leveled it enough where I don't think it killed anybody's ears. Hopefully but, nobody blasted uh, out of their cars. That also, if you're an alcohol drinker, that's a great way to uh, pound some alcohol. Drinking song. Every yeah. time he says Roxanne. Every time he says Roxanne, take a sip of your beer. And, and you, if you're not a drinker, take a drink of water and you'll be very hydrated. Very hydrated. We don't drink anymore, so I don't do that kind of stuff. But if you want to get wasted, uh, you will drink like three and a half beers to Roxanne. Just a sip. Just a sip sip of beer in our 20s we did do that he says roxanne like 70 million times especially towards the end yeah yeah so let's uh get back let's reel it in here okay mike this is a professional show yeah no more binge drinking for us so this story is the murder of sarah widmer so in august of 2008 24 year old sarah widmer was a newlywed she was married to her husband who was 27 year old ryan widmer The two met on a blind date in August of 2006 at a pub. They had been inseparable since. It was a match made in heaven. I believe one of their friends set them up and they did it right. And we actually did that with our high school friends. Um, One of my best friends, I thought in my head, your best friend. I'm like, he's such a weirdo. I'm like, for some reason, I think my friend would be a great match with him. And he, he attracted a lot of ladies. So, um, yeah, he's a good looking dude. So I'm like, hey, let's all go to my high school musical together or show or whatever. And sure enough, they've been married for 24 years or something like that. They like have three kids. The only couple our age we know that's been married longer. Than yeah. Us. So um, this is a similar situation where it was a match made in heaven between friends. So they were inseparable after that first date. Ryan was described as laid back. He made me think about you. Uh, He was a baseball player. He was a sports fanatic. He was clean cut. He was quiet. Some would say a little socially awkward, which I don't think you are, but 
and someone who didn't have a mean bone in his body. And they always say that opposites attract as laid back as Ryan was. Sarah was the take charge, make the plans. Neurotic. Yeah, just like the (laughs) go-getter, like this is what we're going to do. So they do say that that's a good balance. So Sarah was described as super organized. She was someone who liked things just so. She reminded me of me. Yeah. So she was also very mature. She was honest. Sarah was the one in the relationship who planned things. She took charge. Ryan was just very happy to just go with the flow. And it's one of those things, like, you might say, like, P-whipped or whatever, but it's like, no, honestly, I'm happy with either way. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like, you know, if I really want to go to a restaurant or something, I'll say it, and I'm sure Ryan's probably the same, but it's like, no, I'm pretty happy with whatever you pick. Yeah. And you're the one that has this, like, I would say to you, you're the one that has the big opinion of it. So if you have a taste for something, I'll go along with it, because I have a taste for everything. Right. And again, not to say that his opinion didn't matter, he just didn't really care so that's that's kind of how they work i get it buddy so after purchasing a four-bedroom house together in a nice neighborhood in morrow ohio they got married they were just outside of cincinnati just to give you an idea of where they were at the time of the story the couple had been married for only four months they were truly newlyweds friends said that they had never seen ryan happier than on his wedding day in april he'd even taken ballroom dancing lessons so that their their first dance would be perfect he wanted it you know to be exactly what sarah envisioned was sarah taking ballroom yeah it sounds like they did it together i mean it'd be weird if he was doing a bunch yeah okay they had gone to costa rica for their honeymoon they were planning their next trip to cancun and a lot of times people do that while they're on a vacation they plan their next one so that they have something to look forward to so i could relate to that so life was super super exciting at this point in time they're starting a new life together i mean what a more exciting time than that So they dreamed of their future together. This included in the near future, they were going to get a puppy. They were making plans for that. They were working on their house together. They had built a beautiful deck in the backyard. Sarah worked as a dental hygienist at a practice in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. It was about a 40-mile drive from their house. And Ryan was a sports marketer. So on the night of Monday, August 11th, 2008, the couple came home after work. They ate leftover hamburgers. They had corn on the cob and cheesy potatoes for dinner. That's a Midwestern meal if I've ever heard one. Totally. They watched TV. Ryan said that they watched some of Sarah's favorite shows until she let him switch over to the Bengals' first preseason football game. They were playing Green Bay that night. Ryan continued to watch football. Sarah got up. She said she was going to go upstairs and take a bath. And this was very typical. She loved taking baths. Um, one of their friends said, you know, at the, towards the end of the night, if they were out and about, she'd be like, all right, well, we're going to head home. I want to go and take my bath. It was kind of like her end of the evening thing to do. Sure. So she headed upstairs to their primary bathroom to do so. And Ryan stayed downstairs watching TV. So before Sarah went upstairs, Ryan remembered that she asked him to make sure that the house was locked up before he came to bed. They both said, I love you. And she went upstairs. So at 1049 p.m., Ryan called 911. In the call that lasted seven minutes and even less than seven, Ryan told the dispatcher that his wife had fallen asleep in the bath. He said, my wife, she fell asleep in the bathtub, I think. I was downstairs. I just came up here. She was laying face down in the bathtub. He told the dispatcher that Sarah falls asleep in the bathtub all the time. He said that she was still in the tub, but he was draining the water. It was actively draining as he was telling the dispatcher this. Moments later, he said the water was completely drained. The dispatcher instructed Ryan to take Sarah out of the bathtub, put her on a flat surface, start CPR. Ryan wasn't entirely sure how to do CPR, so, you know, the dispatcher's kind of walking him through it. Ryan put the phone down. He lifted Sarah out of the tub. It took all about 29 seconds. 
Ryan began CPR and police arrived within six minutes of Ryan placing the call. It was very quick. They were there within mere moments. It wow, seemed. incredible. So when they arrived, they found Sarah laying naked on the bedroom floor. Police immediately noted that her body was warm and dry, but her hair was wet. Ryan was also in the bedroom. He was dressed only in his boxer shorts. And Deputy Steve Bishop did not observe any trauma or injury to Sarah. CPR was started when Bishop found no pulse and noticed a pinkish white frothy discharge coming out of Sarah's nose and mouth. And I read that this is a typical sighting for somebody who has drowned. Ah. So paramedics who later arrived also noticed that this similar type of output was coming from Sarah's vaginal area. They made two attempts to intubate Sarah as she lay on the bedroom floor. So it's coming out of her mouth and the vaginal area? Yes. Okay. Um, so they're trying to intubate her in the bedroom. They tried twice and both attempts were unsuccessful. Intubate is putting a, a breathing, breathing tube. tube. Yes. Because you, you it was, working in a hospital, uh, you, you used to say that a lot and I didn't know what you were talking about. Okay. So um, I think now that we've all lived through COVID, a lot of us now know that terminology because so many people were intubated. Um, but, you know, if you didn't, that's okay. So, yes, they were trying to breathe for her because it was clear she was not doing so. And that's very, like, very critical situation because you're actively losing oxygen to your brain. Yeah. So it's it's highly critical that it you get oxygen flowing very quickly. So this is helping to get oxygen to her. Yeah, because otherwise it's anoxic brain injury. You're basically brain dead because your your brain suffered a lack of like, oxygen. I didn't know if your your body can still like process it even no. though you're not doing it. No, you're no longer processing oxygen through right. your, your body. Okay. So they were, you know, act- actively frantically trying to intubate her two times, not successful. They also tried to shock her heart back into rhythm using a defibrillator, but they were also unsuccessful in this. At this point, Sarah was transferred to the ambulance that was sitting on her property. Intubation was attempted two more times, again, unsuccessful. So we're looking at about four times at this point that they've tried to. While Sarah was being treated in the ambulance, Ryan briefly spoke with law enforcement. So the ambulance is out there on the driveway. They're not moving. They're trying to resuscitate her in the driveway. So in the meantime, Ryan is briefly speaking with law enforcement. He admitted that while he watched the football game, he had had four beers. Ten minutes after Sarah was placed in the ambulance, they made the decision to just start the ambulance. We're going to transport her to the hospital. So Ryan rode along with the ambulance, and I'm sure that was absolutely traumatic. I can't imagine watching your loved one be actively resuscitated and knowing that they're, you know, there's a great chance they're going to pass. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. So he was described by people who were there as visibly upset. The fifth attempt at intubation in the ambulance was again unsuccessful as they arrived to the hospital. So Sarah, at this point, wasn't breathing. She had no pulse as they're arriving to the hospital. So she's been like close to dead for a while. a long time. Mm -hmm. So the ER physician was able to intubate Sarah within 60 to 90 seconds. He's an emergency medicine physician. He's way more practiced than a paramedic might be. You would think a paramedic should be practiced in this because that's the situation they're going to be in. There's a lot of times that intubations can be difficult. And even a respiratory therapist might not be able to get access. And that's like what they do. Right. So regardless, the doctor was able to do so within a minute to a minute and a half of arrival to the hospital. That just sucks because it was like 10 to 20 to whatever minutes without oxygen to her brain. We're looking at more like 45 minutes at this point. Yeah. So, in the meantime, a nurse began to gather information from Ryan, who told her that he had found Sarah face up in the bathtub, not breathing. At 1141... And when he called 911, it was face down. Face down. 
At 11.41 p.m., after 20 minutes of arrival to the ER, Sarah was pronounced dead. As Ryan's mom, Jill Widmer, stood by, she said that Ryan dropped to his knees and absolutely sobbed when he heard that his wife was gone. As they left the hospital, Ryan told his mom that he could not go back into their home to get, you know, that that he lived in with Sarah. He asked his mom if she could just go upstairs, grab some of his things, and then he would just go back with her to her house. As Jill went into the primary bedroom, she did notice that a couple of pieces of carpeting had been cut. She found this odd. It never crossed her mind at that point that her son could end up being a suspect in his wife's death. It just didn't. She was looking at this as a tragic thing that happened. She did not think at this point in time there was anything suspicious happening. We all know suspect one is the the husband. Yes. So when the chief investigator for the coroner's office arrived at the hospital, he noticed that Sarah's hair was damp, her body was dry, she had no evidence of pruning or wrinkling on her body and no visible injuries. So it doesn't look like she was in the bath falling it, asleep. It didn't look like she had just come out of the tub. So it was investigators understanding that Sarah had been in the bath for about 20 to 30 minutes at this point. But this was just a guess. I heard part of the 911 call. Um, Ryan was guessing that she was upstairs towards the bath for about 15 to 30 minutes, somewhere around there. And why would he check on her? Like he wasn't checking on her. He was oh. coming up to kind of get ready for bed. And he drank four beers watching football. Uh, and it took 20 minutes to drink four beers and watch no, football? No, it's not necessarily um, in that 20 minutes to watch football. They oh. had been hanging out in the oh, living room watching okay. TV. Okay. They had dinner. Um, they were watching shows together that Sarah liked. And then he switched over to football. So it's he could have been drinking while he was grilling those hamburgers. Sure, Who knows? Sure. So there wasn't any kind of course of time that they said he drank these four beers. Okay. So... Um, uh, let me see here. So there was no signs of pruning, like I said. When Sarah's hands were bagged to preserve evidence, he noted this person that was looking at her from the coroner's office had noted that her nails were very well manicured. She had no signs of breaking, chipping, like anything that looked like she was you know, putting up a, a fight. Yeah. She had no defensive wounds on her hands, her feet, her elbows, or her knees. And these are where we would typically see defensive wounds because people are lashing out with both their hands and their feet when they're fighting back. Ryan had no marks on his body. It was very easy to see if he had marks on his body because as the police and paramedics arrived to the house, he was literally standing there in boxer briefs. So it was very easy to see. There were no scratches or anything like that to his body. So the whole point about the 20 to 30 minutes of Sarah being in the tub is we don't know that. Ryan was downstairs watching TV. You don't look at your watch when a person gets up to do something. It's like, yeah, hmm, let's see. Guess. So it was a guess, like you just said. And also, we don't know what she did when she got upstairs. She may have been laying her clothes out for the next day. She may have been pruning primping and priming in the mirror, like plucking eyebrows. Who the hell knows? Whatever people do when they're getting ready for bed and drawing a bath, because we know you fill up the tub. It was not a classic small bathtub. It was a larger like garden style tub, which those take a long time to fill. I know that's the kind of tub that we have. I would guess our tub takes at least 20 minutes to fill. So we don't know how long she was in the water. That's the whole point of this. So when police spoke with Ryan at the hospital, he told them that he and Sarah had been at their home that night, just the two of them. He explained that at about 10 p.m. while he watched football on the downstairs TV, Sarah went upstairs to take her bath. Ryan said that he had been afraid that Sarah would fall asleep in the tub. When he was asked if she had ever fallen asleep in the tub before, he said no, but she did fall asleep very easily. 
Ryan then consented to have his house searched. Investigators started to notice inconsistencies in his story. Initially, like we had talked about, he told the 911 dispatcher that he found Sarah lying face or face down, whereas he later told the nurse at the hospital that she was face up. So two different stories there. He told the 911 dispatcher that Sarah often falls asleep in the tub, but when later asked, he said no, she had she hadn't fallen asleep in the tub before. Well, that's uh, yeah, two very odd things. So police searched the Widmer home. They noticed that the mat in front of the bathtub, as well as a towel and a magazine that were right down there, as well as discarded clothing on the floor, appeared completely dry. Other than a few drops of water around the drain, the bathtub was also dry. The majority of the bath products were lined on the edge of the tub. Inside the tub was a cup, a loofah, and a bottle of Dial soap. It struck investigators as odd that the bottles had managed to stay lined up on the edge after Sarah had reportedly been pulled out of the tub in what would obviously be a frantic matter. Because so he's looking as a really nice suspect for the very, police right now. Very much so. Like there's uh, the two stories aren't matching. There's not a struggle. Or, you know, not sign of you pulling her out of there. Because even though you're much smaller than I am, I know I'd knock over a bunch of things if I had to pull you out of a tub. Yeah. And plus, you're like frantic. You're like, you know, there would be a huge mess. And like, why is she in the bedroom? <laughs> you know, like he I'd want to put her right. Was at- told to move her to a flat surface. It's probably it was probably steps Maybe into smaller. the bathroom. I would imagine. Yeah, but I mean, my first thought would be I'd have you in the in the bathroom on the ground. You know, I don't know if he thought the tile would be cold and uncomfortable, so he wanted to move her to a carpeted area. Sure. I don't know what the thought process was there because you would assume in a moment of you know sheer panic, you're not processing things as you would be if you had time to stop and think about them. So, um, you know, and there were things, like I said, in the tub. So it's not like everything was just lined neatly. So then police also found a used Lysol wipe that could have been used to wipe down the area. They don't know when it was from. Police clarified that Ryan was watching the Cincinnati Bengals game on the downstairs TV. But when investigators checked, the TV was set to a different channel, while the TV in the primary bedroom was set to the Bengals game. Ryan explained that he had switched the channel downstairs to check the Olympic Games. So that's how he said it was on a different channel. So police found blood stains in the bedroom floor area where Sarah had been laying, um, specifically in the area where her head and vaginal areas had been. We do know they said they saw a a frothy pink substance coming out of both of these areas. The carpet was otherwise dry. The Warren County Coroner, Dr. Russell Optegrove, completed Sarah's autopsy and confirmed that her death had been caused from drowning. He noted both internal and external injuries to her body, faint bruising on the right side of her forehead, a petechial hemorrhage on the inner surface of her eyelid, bruising on the left side of her neck, a contusion on the back of her neck, an abrasion on her left armpit, bruising and lacerations on her upper lip. Sarah also had deep muscle hemorrhaging on the anterior of her neck and contusions to her scalp. There were no abnormalities found during the exam of any of her internal organs. The manner of death was listed as homicide based on what the findings this um, this doctor found. So Dr. Optigrove determined that the injuries found on the autopsy were not consistent with what would be expected with injuries commonly resulting from CPR because many times with CPR, 
people have their ribs broken and things and like that. breaks and all that. Uh, extensive bruising. It's a very violent thing when you see somebody being resuscitated. And some of the things on her, like bruising on the armpits, that could be when he's pulling her out of the tub. Yes. Um, and when I heard the upper, <clears throat> excuse me, the upper lip, the first thing I thought of when they're trying to orally intubate a person, yeah. you could knock teeth out. Ah. Uh, we had one patient, um, they couldn't find his dentures, and then they did an x-ray and they were lodged in his esophagus. Jesus. So you really should be checking for dentures before you try to intubate somebody so they don't go down your throat yeah but yeah that didn't happen so um again the manner of death is listed at homicide it was determined that the injuries occurred before sarah's death a toxicology report found no drugs or alcohol in sarah's system on august 13th 2008 two days after sarah's death ryan was arrested and charged with aggravated murder Mm. prosecution focused on the 911 call the scene and sarah's injuries they believe that ryan had forcibly held his wife underwater drowning her in the bathtub when police dusted the bathtub for prints they found streak marks located near the middle of the tub that were believed to be from human hands obviously they're there are people that live in this house they're touching the bathtub yeah human hands in the house that's pretty normal so using super glue fuming process and reflected uv imaging finger marks and smear marks were also observed on the bathtub the bathtub was actually removed from the home further examination was done None of the prints really had any identifying characteristics. They were not really deemed of any comparison value. And I will tell you that in the grand scheme of things, that really didn't show much with a bathtub examination. Well, and we go back to the police found her dry. Her body was dry and her hair was damp. Yeah. I mean, you'd be you'd have a couple droplets on you or something, you would think. And not to mention, no, none of the. Um, yeah the pruning was pruning. determined at the time of her death and right. that could have been more than an hour later so her body could have recuperated her, it, potentially okay. and again we don't know how long she was actually in the tub right you know i could be in the tub for 10 minutes and not have any pruning sure. i don't know at what point i've never done that experiment but i'm not sure so then the tub like i said it was removed from the house and a few months later a senior criminalist from the cincinnati area was contacted to examine it he found markings that indicated it had been wiped down he couldn't determine when we clean our bathtubs we wipe them down so that's especially people like you who are extra clean person people right and we know that sarah was that way too so he found a forearm impression on the bathtub he determined that from the presence of the hair follicles that the impression was made by an adult male however ryan lived in that house he was at the side of the bathtub you know draining it, pu- pulling his wife from the tub. Yeah. That's an obvious thing you would potentially find there. So really what I'm saying is there was nothing of, of value in examining the tub. Yeah, no smoking gun type material. No. So Ryan went to trial on the aggravated murder charge in March of 2009. Prosecution focused on the fact that the items found in the bathroom were not wet. They So they're saying like had a 140 pound adult been pulled from the tub in a frantic manner, it would be expected that the floor and other items present would be wet. They also discussed that Sarah's body was dry when police and paramedics arrived six minutes later after Ryan said he had pulled her from the tub. So the coroner agreed that she drowned. Yes. Right. And at the same time, like I don't. I don't think you have enough to get this guy in anything big personally because mm-hmm. there's no, you know, struggle. There's no like choking. There's no like nothing. Aren't his hands on her arms or anything like that. Um, I don't think they've got enough personally, but let's see. So, and again, there were no obvious injuries to Sarah. This was all on very detailed and close ex- inspection. She was naked on the floor when the police and the paramedics arrived. 
they could not see any kind of visible injury. Sure. Ryan, no visible injury. So just keep that in the back of your mind while we're talking. So um, the prosecution told the jury that a violent confrontation took place in the Widmer home that night for reasons that were unknown. An expert was called to testify and explain that it is virtually impossible to fall asleep and drown in the bathtub unless drugs or alcohol are involved. And, you know, the other thing I was thinking was toxicology reports are only testing for certain drugs. They're not testing for absolutely every drug ever made in to man they're testing probably for sleeping maybe for opiates. sleeping pills maybe opiates definitely opiates definitely like a cocaine thing but that gets through your system very quickly no um, if she had done cocaine that night it would test positive okay so and that cocaine wouldn't put you to sleep either but maybe weed you know you'd fall asleep but like the, y- your body has a natural response if you get underwater it's gonna be like whoa, 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 yeah but we know like whitney houston she died in the bathtub she well, was she positive was, for uh, basically everything yeah but any of the obvious things they're gonna test for methamphetamines they're gonna test for opiates for marijuana all the obvious things that anyone would potentially take that would have a sedative effect and these were all negative so there's no reason to believe that sarah was under the influence of anything okay so they argued that the sensation of water on a person's face would wake a person or the gag reflex would kick in if you started to go under and actually swallow the water exactly what i said i'm pretty much an expert you are you really are in fact we should probably put you on the case of any potential upcoming trials i'm in let me know yeah you would be the expert witness okay go on so um the other thing is if there was a drop in oxygen because you were actively choking that in itself would you know cause a person to wake up and start sputtering water and it's just it's not a probable thing to think that she just fell asleep in the tub right so in 2006 a study showed that on average one american drowns in the bathtub hot tub or spa every single day it didn't specify what the circumstances was involving those that's kind of a lot i mean more than i would think it is that's the whole point is that it's this is not something that's impossible and just because you know you can't say this guy's guilty because uh, you know in this situation usually the husband is guilty but it's like well you that's not enough you got to say that this guy is put here and he did this right like without a shadow of a doubt and I'm going to give you a whole lot more information. So the prosecution called Coroner Updegrove onto the stand to discuss the findings of the initial autopsy that was done and what the picture he believes in the findings that painted. So he argued that the findings of a dry body with wet hair would indicate that her head had been pushed over the edge of the bathtub, toilet, or sink, whatever area he could have potentially drowned her in. It could have been pushed either forward or backwards, under running water, or in a full receptacle. The prosecution said that Ryan held Sarah's head underwater until she drowned, and based on that fact, he should be found guilty of her murder. The defense argued that there was no evidence to suggest that Ryan killed Sarah, and they argued that the couple was very much in love and Ryan had absolutely no motive to kill his wife. Well, we got to hear about the violent interaction, obviously. I hope you have more on that. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm just trying to think of it as our listeners here. And you did hear about the bruising on the scalp, so that's interesting. But go ahead. People who knew him said that it was not in his character to become violent, angry, or even raise his voice. He was a very even-keeled, peaceful person. I mean, we all get angry for about things. So if you're like never going to do that, you probably are bottling it up somewhere. So it's good to let it kind of blow off sometimes. Right. But he just wasn't a generally angry or confrontational person, okay. is basically what I'm saying. Friends said that they were happy together. They were making plans for their future. Again, we were saying they were getting a puppy. They were planning their vacation to Cancun. 
The defense said that they had their own autopsy conducted two days after the initial autopsy on August 15, 2008. It was completed by Dr. Werner Spitz, and Dr. Spitz agreed that, yes, the cause of death was drowning, so that was not disputed there. But rather than ruling it a homicide, he ruled Sarah's death as undetermined. He observed the injuries in her neck, arms, upper lip, scalp, a a tear in her liver, hemorrhaging to her neck. He could not determine if those injuries had been sustained during CPR, and for that reason, he would not say that it was a homicide. And that's really the right way to go about things. It seems like this coroner is kind of jumping to conclusions, which I get. We we need to be able to have some guesses and things, but it's irresponsible to just say something because that's what you think. Right. It's like an opinion. You know, it's an all, opinion. As a coroner, as a person of science, you need to deliver facts. Okay? Right. And that's where it kind of ends. And maybe some insight on other things. This could have happened, but you can't say it's my opinion that this happened it's like mm, i don't know yeah and it's it's not even a controlled experiment if you were to do it all over again and repeat it because we don't know how hard that person was pushing on her chest to do cpr sure you know if i was doing cpr on somebody versus you i would imagine you'd be giving a hell of a lot more force than i would yeah i don't think you'd bruise a whole lot of me you're tw- you're <laughs> twice my size right. so you know we don't know the circumstances there so those present say that the emts tried to resuscitate sarah for about 45 Five minutes. This was even before they took her to the hospital. And that the areas of bleeding deep inside her neck most likely came from an IV line that was inserted to this area because EMTs were not able to pl- place um, IV access to her arms. They couldn't find a vein. They finally did get access in her neck. So they were just trying to find it. And that's closer to like the heart and brain and stuff where blood might still be pumping. Right. She, she wasn't pumping blood down to her extremities. And the whole point was that they found this extensive deep bruising on the internal exam. This could be explained in the fact that an IV was placed to this area. As a coroner, this is part of your uh, investigation, asshole. So mm-hmm. he should have been better about this. The other thing was the de- defense argued that the home showed no sign of a violent altercation that night. Ryan had no defensive injuries. Sarah's nails weren't broken or chipped. Female DNA was found under her nails, though there was no match found. This could have been from anything. Scratching herself. Yeah. It wasn't her DNA. They found her DNA as well as another female's. Um, But that had nothing to do with this. So they argued that the injuries found were from CPR as well as multiple attempts at intubation. They believe that something medical caused her death, such as a seizure or a cardiac issue. They argued that her skin was dry because skin simply dries faster than hair. They also said that Ryan first discovered his wife unconscious. He instinctively reached down and pulled the drain. We know that because that's what he said on the 911 call. He said the water is draining right now. And then sometime in the call, he said the water's been drained. So um, this is... At the same time, you can't take what Ryan is saying because he said several things wrong. Of course not. it helps. So this sequence of events explains why her body was drier than expected. An experiment conducted by an expert witness indicated that a person climbing out of a bath could dry in seven minutes. Okay, that's a good experiment to run. Yes. So we know that they arrived about six minutes after he placed that call. So we might be within that exact time frame, maybe 30 seconds difference. And if she's on a carpet you've got an absorbent area there right so in the 911 dispatcher who handled ryan's call this was ron Crowenberger. he made several statements about ryan's performance during the call this is also an opinion they said he was giving details that 
were kind of over what a typical call, if it was organic and natural, would say. Like, he said, I came upstairs from watching TV and found her this way. And you know what? It's interesting you say that because I'm really good in very stressful situations. You I, are. I'm in, I'm not to toot my own horn, but toot, I mean, toot. in in regular situations, I'm not great. Like, you know, whatever, something boring. Yeah, I, I'm basically tuned out. But if things get stressful quickly, I can think very quickly, very accurately. And in, in his situation, I'll bet you I can tell you everything that happened. And I would say something similar if I called 911 because I'd want to give as much detail as possible to help them figure out what could have happened to my mm-hmm. poor wife. You know, right. be like, OK, I came up the stairs at like 913 and whatever. Like I would I would be that guy that has more details. I didn't think there was anything weird about saying I was downstairs. I came up here and saw my wife in the bathtub unresponsive. I didn't think that was weird. I'm also not a person who studies what is a typical behavior. And I mean, you know, as a police officer or whatever, you get a lot of those calls and you get to know what's typical. But that's also it, it makes your mind think things are wrong when they might not be because there's typical and then there's atypical right so, yeah and he also said it sounded as if ryan was just blowing into the receiver pretending to do cpr so the jury found ryan not guilty of aggravated murder but they found him guilty of murder just to give you a little insight here i wasn't entirely sure what aggravated murder was thank you I was so ask. aggravated murder is a murder made more serious by the violence circumstances it it involves as well as the the idea that it was premeditated so they did not find him guilty of that but just straight up murder so that's still pretty pretty bad right yeah i'd hate to be found murder he's going to jail for years so on july 22nd 2009 a new trial was granted after the after the defense am i saying defense weird um i'd say defense Defense. yeah i I don't think i even say defense i don't know why i'm saying that right now no you're good Whatever. We all know what I mean here. So anyway, they are granting him a new trial after the defense discovered that jurors in the trial had... You did it again. I know I did, and I'm going to continue to do it. No, stop. Defense. (laughs) Defense. So they had discovered that jurors in the trial had conducted their own experiments to see how long skin takes to dry after a bath, and they're not allowed to do this. Oh, what? So a few of them had actually gotten in a bathtub, soaked for X amount of time, got out, and tested the timer. I was just thinking... I'm going to do the same thing. Well, they did. And then they talked about it before Ah. making a decision. I mean, I don't get why they shouldn't do it. Maybe because it's not controlled. It's not not, controlled. Yeah. And I can understand that. Sure. And in my mind, when I was reading it, I was like, I would have done the same thing. Absolutely. I'm going to do it tomorrow. But again, it's not a controlled situation. We don't know the the humidity. There's so many things. So anyway, they they weren't allowed to do this. But what did they did they, they share did not, what they, they said? Didn't, ah, they didn't say what they said. But they must have thought it might not be accurate because he was ultimately found guilty. Right. So maybe their skin didn't dry it, quite as fast. Yeah, I think it'd be longer than seven But minutes. we do know seven minutes. He was a, he tested it. So now we're getting granted a new trial. So in the meantime, Ryan posted bail. He went to live at his mom's house until the new trial began. On Wednesday, October 14th, 2009, a report was released that the 911 dispatcher, Ron Kroenberger, was written up by the operations services manager in the dispatch center for mishandling Ryan's call. Interesting. She wrote that it sounded as if he came out of a sound sleep and was struggling to comprehend what the caller was saying, continually repeating himself. Mm. The report indicated that Ron was a habitual sleeper on duty. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm like, why does Ron still have a job? Why? Why does the manager still have a job? You got to fire like, somebody who's a nine one one dispatcher that sleeps. You, this is an emergency situation. You hey, can't be sleeping. I get it. It's not for everybody. I would be sleeping, and so I can't be a nine one one dispatcher. No, exactly. 
I mean, this in the medical field, you can't be sleeping. So in December of 2009, though, uh, an additional response came out. An internal report was released indicating that Ron answered the phone within three seconds of its first ring ahead of two other operators who were also working. He had answered a call three minutes before. So the idea that he was sleeping is not probable. So it was deemed that he was not sleeping. Well, I just thought that was an interesting thing that we're hearing this guy testifying. He's a habitual sleeper. Guess yeah. what? He shouldn't be a dispatcher. No, maybe go. I I don't know. Have a day job at the library. I'm not sure. So the second trial began in May of 2010. The jury was unable to reach a verdict. So this resulted in a mistrial. Ryan's third trial began in January of 2011. And additional evidence was submitted at this time in the defense defenses in the defense's goal to establish that Sarah may have suffered from an unknown heart or neurological defect that caused her to lose consciousness and drown in the bathtub. Several medical experts testified to suggest that it was possible, but on the other side, the state called medical experts to dispute these claims. So it's a it's a back oh, and forth. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like pick cherry picking. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, it's could yeah she had this gene that's possible to have this symptom or whatever. It's like the same as the coroner or whatever. Like you're just giving an opinion that could possibly happen sure. unless you have direct evidence that she suffered from something. Then this is like inadmissible, ba- right. basically. So Sarah's coworkers testified that she would sleep in her car before starting her shift at the dental practice, as well as during her lunch break. They also testified that she had allergies. She suffered from headaches and stomach pains. They said that one uh, at one point her headache was so bad that her vision became blurred. She had to go into a dark room until her symptoms passed. Okay, well, that's some evidence. And Dr. Uh, Benjamin Mesmer, which is a dentist within the practice where she worked, testified that the day that Sarah died, she had complained about both a headache and a stomach ache. Okay, we got uh, some stuff that's mm-hmm. better. A friend had spoken with Sarah later in the evening, and Sarah had mentioned that she had a headache and that the back of her neck was hurting. Her friend said she just generally sounded tired when they talked. Sarah's friends testified that she would sometimes fall asleep in very unexpected places. A couple examples would be while tailgating at a Cincinnati Bengals game or while in the middle of a conversation at a bar with a table full of women who were actively talking. That's a huge red flag, man. That's something's going on with your body. That's narcolepsy or whatever it might be. So on some of these mentioned occasions, though, alcohol had been involved and that we know is a suppressant, a depressant. It makes you tired. I mean, you got to be absolutely hammered to be falling asleep. At right. A bar. So Sarah's ability to fall asleep so easily became a known joke amongst those that knew her. I mean, she had nicknames for it. Like our friend. Yeah. In, uh, in uh, Indiana. Uh, Indiana, yeah. So one friend had even speculated that, like you just said, that she suffered from narcolepsy. Narcolepsy is a sleep disorder that makes people very drowsy during the day. Those who suffer from narcolepsy find it difficult to stay awake for long periods of time, and they may suddenly fall asleep, causing disturbances in their daily routines. Some who suffer from narcolepsy also can experience something called cataplexy. This causes a sudden loss of muscle tone, oftentimes triggered by usually a strong positive emotion. Laughter can sometimes trigger this. A lack of muscle tone? Uh, yes. Or so muscle uh, use? It's lo- like you basically lose control of your muscles. Okay. So when this happens, it cannot be controlled and it can last up to a few minutes. Like so people paralysis. could just literally fall to the ground. Basically paralysis. Uh, yes. Okay. And not be able to hold their weight. So Sarah's mother, Ruth Ann Stewart, testified on behalf of the prosecution. She claimed that she and her daughter were very close and they spent nearly every single Friday together since Sarah's dad had died in March of 2007. 
She said that she had never witnessed anything unusual about her daughter's sleep patterns. However, many, many, many people are saying it was laughable. Like uh, Ryan's mom had mentioned Christmas. She's like, there was a room full of 20 people. Kids were yelling, running through the room. She looks over Sarah sleeping in the chair. Well, this is something that should have been brought up like way, way before, right? I mean, am I crazy? But like the guy said, even if you were sleeping, the water hitting your face would wake you up. That's an, a regular, like a person that's more common that doesn't have these extra features where they fall asleep in the middle of like loud rooms. It like, sounds there's, like there's even with here. narcolepsy, though, water would wake you up. Right. That's my understanding here. I'm certainly not a doctor. I don't know that to be fact. I'm pretty close. I talk to a lot of doctors in my day job. I work at a hospital. I do a lot of true crime. So. <laughs> and I'm not a doctor. Okay. So she did confirm that, yes, Sarah suffered from headaches. She believed that these were sinus related. She said she spoke with Sarah on the day that she died while Sarah was driving home from work. Sarah did not mention a headache or any other illness. Ruth testified that Sarah had no history of seizures or heart disease, no family history of those as well. Sarah had been diagnosed with a heart murmur in November of, two, um, sorry, excuse me, 1984. She would have just been born at this time. So she also had a cleft palate. This was surgically repaired as a baby. And then during a physical exam that she had had in June of 2008, just two months before her death, there were no findings of any kind of heart murmur or any other concerning findings. We do know that, you know, routine physicals are very benign. They're not really extensively digging anywhere. You had a heart murmur when you were younger? I did. And oftentimes these do resolve on their, their own. So then we had Dr. Jar- Charles Jeffrey Lee. He was an expert in pathology. He testified that this type of heart murmur usually disappears within a few months to a year of life. Sarah's murmur was never present in any way. He said even if it was, it wouldn't have contributed to her death. He agreed with the conclusion of the initial autopsy that this was a homicide by drowning. Another expert in emergency medicine agreed that the injuries that Sarah had sustained were not consistent with CPR or intubation attempts. Before the third trial began, a resident of Iowa named Jennifer Crew contacted the Warren County Prosecutor's Office with information about Sarah's death. She testified that she had watched a Dateline episode featuring Sarah's death and Ryan's subsequent arrest. Afterwards, she went to a website that supported Ryan's innocence. She obtained information that allowed her to begin communicating with, with Ryan via emails, phone calls, and text messages. According to Jennifer, Ryan called her at 11.06 p.m. on October 26, 2009. He was upset. He was crying. He said, I did it. I did it. I killed Sarah. I did it. She testified that he told her that he'd fought with Sarah in the living room of their home on the night that she died. Their arguments stemming from Ryan's infidelity, his drinking, his smoking, and his pornography habits. He told her that the argument continued upstairs in the bathroom and things became physical when Sarah told Ryan that their marriage was over. Ryan told Sarah, nobody leaves me. Nobody ever leaves me. And I mean nobody. Jennifer told the court that according to Ryan, he punched Sarah in the chest, which caused her to fall back and strike her head. He said that he knelt beside Sarah. He blacked out at this point, And when he came to, Sarah was on the floor. She wasn't breathing and her hair was wet. Ryan then said that he freaked out. He began wiping up water that was on the bathroom floor with towels while forming a plan to cover her murder. However, there were no wet towels located in that home. They looked everywhere, including the dryer. 
There was no shred of evidence to support that he had wiped up a messy room full of water. So this is some rando from Iowa right now. And there's no like, uh, there's no emails that she has to support this? Not at all. She is is saying this is a phone conversation. This person basically can't be trusted. And maybe it happened. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that, but, but you can't use this as evidence because it's he said she said basically yeah, I, I agree which is why so many unfortunate like rape situations turn into the same thing where it's like you don't know you got to try to believe but at the same time it's you know legally it's equal right what's to say she's any more reliable than he is so she said that he called 911 and when he was instructed to perform CPR, he only breathed into the phone, pretending to do so, knowing that Sarah was already clearly dead. He could not resuscitate her. Well, this Iowa chick knows that that was a point of contention. Potentially. Also. I, I didn't see this full dateline. I read the article associated with it. They did not mention that, you know, I, I do know that the 911 dispatcher felt like he just blew into the phone. So maybe that was presented. I don't know. And if she's one of these people that really, you know, attaches themselves, then, you know, she might know a lot more, too. And he said or she told them that he also told her that when he was talking to the nurse at the hospital, he knew that he screwed up and caught his error after telling the nurse that he found his wife face up in the bathtub versus face down as he told the dispatcher. So this dude hasn't told anybody this, but some rando from Iowa is who he's going to tell all this to and basically mm-hmm. a couple conversations. According to Jennifer, yes. Okay. Jennifer said that she promised Ryan that she would not tell anyone about their phone call. And in response, Ryan said, I I hope not, because I wouldn't want you to be where Sarah's at. Despite her fear, she continued to talk with Ryan until late November of 2009. And you know what? This would be a great time to record a conversation Mm -hmm. or get a text that says something along those lines that hints to it. Like if you can't just come to the court and say, I talked to this guy and this happened, you need evidence. So she's saying this conversation happened. What did I say? October 26. She continued to talk to him for another month on the phone. And this is a great time to record something. And maybe he only said it that one time. Right. But you can say, hey, remember what we talked about? You can can hint towards it. Agreed. Uh, Remember that thing I I said I wouldn't tell anybody about? And if he says yes, then it's like, okay, well, now we can maybe believe this. You don't have to say, remember when you killed your wife? And uh, and he'd be like, no, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Because then, yeah. Because he wouldn't have said it. Right. So when Jennifer discovered that the second trial resulted in a mistrial, she contacted officials to report what she knew. The defense tried to discredit Jennifer's testimony and presented evidence about her former prescription drug abuse and addiction, as well as her convictions of misdemeanor theft. Another woman who befriended Ryan after seeing the same Dateline episode testified that she spoke with Ryan that very night until 11 p.m. So he would have ended the call with her and immediately called this other woman, Jennifer, and this woman said, he said nothing like this to me. So is it possible that he didn't say anything to her and then call Jennifer? Yes, of course. But regardless, the phone calls were back to back. He did not have anything of what he said to Jennifer to say to this woman. And she's not saying, yeah, it didn't happen. But mm-hmm. he would have at least mentioned something probably if he Possibly. was in the same mood. If, if that was his mindset of confession. So there was no evidence of infidelity within their marriage to support what she's saying that they fought about his infidelity. There was absolutely no findings that he had another woman. Well, you saying it reminds me of he, he reminds me of you, you of me. It kind of makes me associate with him a little bit. I'm not a cheater guy. You know, it's just like I, I travel for business a lot and it's like never happened as far as you know. Um, but it's just like it's just not in my mind at all. It's not something I'm going after. It's just not something I'm interested in. It's just like I, you know, it's 
he seems similar. Like he just wants to have a good you know time or whatever. They've I don't been know. married for four months at this point. It's and like I do people early in their marriages have affairs? Of course. I've known. Sure. I've heard stories of people sleeping with somebody the day of the marriage. But odds are they're going to find text messages on this yes. dude's phone. They're going to find emails, and yeah. that just never come up. No, there's no evidence whatsoever. And we just covered the um, why am I drawing Angela Craig case and his wife or his or her husband Jim. It was very clear to see he was having an affair. There was emails and, and texts and things. I promise if I'm cheating with you, it's going to be text messages and Instagram messages and all this other stuff. You're going to see Snapchats like it's going to be out there. Right. So they also had no proof that they were going through any kind of financial issues, that they have had any kind of history of arguments. So all these things she's saying. Nothing. Nothing not is sure. lining up with this. And again, Ryan was someone who friends said they had never seen even remotely angry, never even enough to step on a bug. Ryan wouldn't profit from his wife's death. There was no insurance policies. So basically what I'm saying is nothing this woman is saying has any any proof to back this up. And like she needs to go to jail or something because you're like trying to ruin this guy's life. If it comes out that like all this is a lie, she should go to jail for years. I would like, agree. She testified. Yeah, that's a, that's that's under oath. Yes, exactly. There's you got it. Bullshit. Yeah. Somebody that has some weed on them is going to go to jail for a couple of years. She needs to go to jail for like three to five. Was it obstruction of justice? Lots of things. So anyway, the defense argued that they didn't have an explanation as to what caused Sarah's death that night. But an expert in emergency medicine, this is Dr. Dave Smile, which I love that. I want to be Dr. Smile. He should have been a dentist. That would have been perfect. Mm, True. Anyway, he testified that nationwide, there are approximately 300,000 episodes of sudden death annually. And one to to 2% of those occur in those under age 35 which Sarah would fall within. She was only 24. This equates, I did the math, to about 6,000 of these 300,000 sudden deaths would be for somebody that Sarah falls within this age. And we said, you know, the the people dying in bathtubs, there was like 300 a year, and then you got 3,000 sudden deaths. So Okay, so here's another big thing. 33% of those that died suddenly have completely normal autopsies with no evidence of cardiovascular neurological respiratory or central nervous system injury yeah but again that's that's not saying that that's probably what happened so you can't say that she just died out of nothing no because some people do but the point is it could have sure she could have yeah he also agreed with the earlier point that with the extent of resuscitation that was performed on sarah he was actually surprised that she didn't have even more injuries to her body The jury was asked to look at all the facts surrounding the case and know that Ryan had absolutely no reason to hurt Sarah. An expert in biomedical engineering, human factors engineering, and injury biomechanics testified for the defense and felt that the injuries that Sarah sustained weren't consistent with forcible drowning. Had Ryan tried to drown her in a face-to-face approach, injuries to the small bones in the back of her neck would have been expected because he'd be pushing her over a sink or over a bathtub. That was not found. Now, on the other side... You're also if you're if you're straight or uh, trying to drown someone face to face, you're she's going to be flashing out at him. Yeah, because she has access to you. And also her neck will be trying to be craned and trying to get herself above water. If you were trying to push me backwards into a bathtub, you would be scratched to high holy hell. Unless I was holding your arms down. I would tear you apart. I'd hold your arms down. You'd be, it'd be, <laughs> it would be kind of easy, just so you know. <laughs> like, no matter how hard. I mean, I'm 240 pounds and you're 120. So it's like, it's not going to be that hard. But I wouldn't do it because eh, it's a lot of cleanup. And, you and know, I'm not stuff. laughing because no, I'm no, laughing. 
laughing because Sarah was described as a very like she was a take control girl. Yeah. She wouldn't just lay there and have her husband push her backwards into a, a basin of water and strangle her. Her nails were perfectly fine. We're, he had not a single mark on his body yeah, indicating you'd, that you'd this You'd probably happened. get me a couple times. I, I promise you. Before I got you. I would freaking freak out. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make fun of Sarah or Ryan. No, not at all. This is on the side. So now with a strangulation attempt from the rear, he would be it would be expected to see that she would have injury to her knees and her pelvis because he'd be pushing her over something. There was no at, at all indication of that. Like she'd have bruising at her chest because he'd be forcing her down as she's forcing back. And if it depending on how shallow it is, like bruises on the forehead and face, right. which she had it on the mouth, but again, intubation. They tried to intubate her, what, five, six times? Yeah. So that to me is not a surprise. So she had no injuries to explain the, that, you know, he would have forcibly drowned her unless she was under the influence of something and we know that she wasn't. So there was no signs that she fought back or that he had any kind of injuries to himself. So after about 12 hours of deliberation, now this is the third trial, Ryan was very nervous when they came back after 12 hours because a previous one lasted 30 hours. So he was scared. Why did they come to a conclusion so quickly and basically a third of the time? He they, had, they had bigger, bigger guns in this one. They had more experts instead of this asshole coroner who's just giving his opinion coming out of his ass basically meanwhile dr smile is saying i'm surprised she didn't even have more injuries yeah those are two doctors right right and i was thinking you know how much they what 45 minutes they 45 try to get her going? minutes at the home and in the ambulance and these are emts and they know how to do cpr cpr will injure somebody you know that will do it 20 minutes at the hospital so we're looking at about an hour that they had multiple people attempting to resuscitate this girl and it's almost lucky for ryan because she would likely have a lot of sternum bruising and cracked ribs but i don't know how she got out without that she was a young girl probably very strong bones Flexible. obviously when people are elderly and frail they have lots of rib sure. fractures the other thing is we don't know like when she was pulled out of the bathtub her head could have hit the side of the tub of who knows yeah. you know you're lifeless but after 12 hours of deliberation ryan was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 15 years to life in prison whoa the jury made their decision based on the absence of water on sarah's body and the area around the tub to ryan's story and the belief that his 911 call was orchestrated one jury from the third trial felt that ryan's behavior in court was one of the biggest reasons he felt he was guilty when the autopsy photos were displayed he said that ryan showed absolutely no reaction keep in mind this was ryan's third trial that he'd gone through perhaps he was desensitized at this point i don't know i would have no reaction because i you know sometimes we get in a fight and you'll just see me with a blank face and you hate Mm -hmm. that oh yeah because i'm a very expressive person yeah yeah and it's not because i don't care it's because I already know the outcome. Like, and that's, I could see myself in his shoes being mm-hmm. like, man, I've been through this two other times and these guys are going to find me guilty. I don't know. You know, I'm not thinking my poor wife, because I've been thinking that for the last three years. You right. Know? Not to say I don't think, you know, we'll talk about it late afterwards, but let's, yeah. So Ryan hadn't taken the stand to testify, though he did address the court after the verdict was read. He said, I love my wife. I did not hurt her. I was not given a chance. The day after she passes away, they charge me with murder. I didn't even. If, if I had the answer, I would give the answer of what happened to her, but I can't. I was not in the bathroom with her. I love my wife. I did not hurt her. One of Sarah's best friends. Now, this is Sarah's best friend. Her name is Dana Kist. She firmly believes that Ryan is innocent of this. 
The verdict was so unpopular that candlelight vigils were held to protest the jury vote. Ryan's lawyers want a court order to order DNA released so that it can be tested for genetic disorders. And one example that I kept seeing over and over is something that's called long QT syndrome or LQTS. So this is a heart signaling disorder that can cause sudden fainting and seizures. According to the Mayo Clinic, young people with LQTS have an increased risk for sudden death. Some people are born with altered DNA that causes LTQS, and it may occur later in life, so you might not have any signs of it in your younger years. It's said for some unexplained events in children and young adults, such as unexplained fainting and drowning and seizures, can be a result of LTQS. A 2000 article from the American Heart Association indicated that researchers reviewed 35 cases of LQTS seen at the Mayo Clinic and determined that six patients who had a person or family history of drowning or near drowning. So the reason why they did this study, it was a young girl. I'm not quite sure how old she was. She was found dead in her health club's pool, and she was an avid expert swimmer. So her family had research done to figure out how does a 20-something, if if that's the age she was, die in a four-foot pool when she is an expert swimmer. She had this. So basically, the... um, the idea of this study indicated that swimming can be a trigger. Obviously, Sarah wasn't swimming, but she was in water. It determined that unexplained drowning may have a genetic basis. So this it's possible. They didn't test for this. So they're trying to get this tested. Yeah, again, you can't just base it on possibilities. Right. So Ryan had a son who was now 12 years old, who was born to a woman he met a year after Sarah died while he was waiting his second trial. Their relationship ended early in his prison term. Ryan's mom, Jill, emptied her retirement funds to pay for her son's defense, spending about $250,000 for the first trial alone. Likely in total, she spent more than $500,000 to help fight her son's case. Mm. After Ryan was convicted, Jill turned to alcohol to cope. She was 55 years old when Ryan's twin brother found her dead on the kitchen floor. She died from chronic alcohol abuse. Uh, That's sad. Ryan was unable to attend her funeral because the Widmer family couldn't pay for the guards to watch Ryan during the services. Ryan hopes that his story will somehow get out and lead to uncovering information that could lead to the reversal of his conviction. He has been in prison for 12 years, and so far, unless a federal judge rules in his favor, his first chance at release will be July of 2025. That's his first possible release. He has the possibility of being in prison for the rest of his life. So he says, with each year that passes, I hope that the next year will be the year that I am free. So I just found this case very interesting because when I first started researching, I felt completely solid in the fact that he was full of shit and that he absolutely killed his wife. And the more that I researched, the more I felt that it's very, very possible that he could be innocent. Yeah. And the downside is that these things are unexplainable and there's like no, (laughs) you know, that's that's the hard part. He doesn't have evidence besides like it could have happened. Yep, but here's the things that did happen. You were found in there with her, and you said that her head was up, and then you said her head was down, and there was no bottles on the floor, even though you pulled her out of the bath, and her body had some moisture on it. I would lean, if I was in a in a jury, I would lean towards his guilt. Not, yeah, I'm not, torn. Not to say, you know, I'm not... I'm not allegedly you know whatever i'm not trying to say i'm not going to be a a person out there to keep him in jail i'm not going to be a person to say take him out of jail but too many things are against him 
and he screwed up in those stories. Now, maybe he was thinking, okay, right now her head's up or, you know, whatever. Oh, I meant like she was down when I looked at her. Also, how would her head be down? Because if she like lost control of her body as she was getting into the tub, maybe she fell forward. Right. So that's possible. Because I did think that too. Why would she be face down in the bath? Yeah. It's as if something suddenly happened to her and she went down that way. Right, right. So that's possible. Again, possibilities. But all you can go on is facts. Yeah. And a lot of the facts, absolute facts, line up to him being somehow responsible. Now, I wouldn't have done murder. I would say much lesser charge. Like some, I, I, you know, Either he I, did it or he didn't. Right. But she she's either dead from him or she's not. Well, same thing with the aggravated murder. I mean, if he did murder her, it was premeditated, probably. Well, so. no, maybe if they were fighting that evening right. and she's like, I'm leaving you. So that's the, not premeditated. You did say earlier that there was a violent interaction. That's... No, there was no sign of violent interaction. Oh, they painted the picture that a violent altercation happened. There was no evidence of such violent gotcha. interaction. Just as there I was check. nothing in that house that looked suspicious. There weren't items thrown around. Nothing indicated that there was a violent interaction. They said that this would have been a result of a violent altercation. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then that Iowa chick came out of nowhere and she should definitely be in jail. Yeah. I don't believe a word she says. No. Um, but it's kind of um, sick that she wanted to like make so much of this. So here's my thing. You know, obviously we have two kids. I used to bathe them continuously like when they were babies. Me too. Yeah. And when you take them out of the tub like usually the front of your shirt is damp and wet for uh, quite a while. Now I thought initially that, yeah. but Ryan, it sounds to me was shirtless. So that wouldn't be the case. Cause I was like, if he pulled his wife's adult body out of the tub, he would be wet. But the then again, water. he only had boxers on when the, they showed up. The ground would be soaked too. There'd be but water all he, over. Drained he drained the tub. It. Right. So maybe not soaked, but I um, mean, and you know, we're all of us, everybody listening, like take a shower, see how long it takes you to dry yourself off. So you're saying, get out of the shower, do not touch a towel. Yes. I would imagine it would take me longer than seven minutes. Me too. Are you going to do that? Well, you can't do this. But you're like a friggin' Sasquatch. Right. I have a lot of hair. You probably wouldn't dry for two hours. Folks, I've got hair on my shoulders, on my back, on my chest. Um, the butt's kind of clean. You'd be, you'd be surprised. <laughs> TMI. Nobody wants to know what your uh, butt looks somebody like. Somebody out there. Somebody out there is thinking it. But he is, a, you won a hairiest back contest at some point in college. Yeah. So you would take forever. So you're not a good subject. Now, right. I should try it. I will watch. Oh, I don't doubt that you so will. You I'll be friggin creep. with the timer. I'll, hey, you know what? We'll put it on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, what, good idea. And that'll get a lot of views. Yeah. That's a good way to get some people either running away or running towards us. I don't know. There's a lot of sickos out there. They'll, they want to see that. <laughs> they want to see the whole thing. So, but the point is that one expert witness testified that it takes about seven minutes. And then the whole jury tested it on themselves and they're like, no, definitely longer than seven minutes. I mean, you know, you think about it. I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe I'm weird, but I get out of the shower, whatever. I dry myself off with my towel and then I'll go like lay on my bed or whatever. Maybe no, I've never done that. Like maybe I'll put like some, I don't know. Why are you laying on the bed? This isn't a normal thing. What the hell is going on? But let's say this has happened five times in my life. Okay. Like I'll, maybe I'll get into a TV show and I'm like, Oh, and then I'll just lay on the bed (laughs) for like watching it for a second. And then I feel like a drip of something on my body going on the the bed. And I'm like, oh, I'm still wet. That was like 20 minutes ago that I got out of the bed. But you're a big guy and you have a lot of hair. Now, the one thing I do say about that, though, is that he drained the tub. We don't know how long she was just laying in a drained tub. Yeah. 
So and the bottles that really got me. No bottles knocked over is yeah, insane. It, insane. There were some. One bottle of Dial soap was in the tub as well as a cup and a loofah. Yeah. It was a bigger tub. That was my thing. Like our kids have a small tub that you would have knocked all the bottles off. And the other things, I would be a good actor. I'd be able to act like I was really sad. So that's you know I don't put a lot of stock into that. But at the same time, I'm not a narcissist like a lot of these assholes that kill their wives and stuff. They, you know, it's harder for them because they don't ever think of anybody else but themselves. Nobody said that ryan demonstrated any kind of narcissistic behavior nobody said he was an angry person they were not having any arguments i'm sure they combed through their text messages together and they were probably very normal as if they looked at our text messages hey what's for dinner when you coming home how's your day going no indication that they were having any kind of turmoil in the relationship that would result from a laid-back guy who no friend in their entire friend group saw be angry suddenly killed his wife to have no financial benefits you have to keep in mind you're also reading a lot of things that are you know you have to anything you're reading has some kind of an angle you know whether i get that which way are they trying to swing it right and the the obviously the facebook page supporting ryan is trying to say he's innocent so the things you're reading are people jumping to conclusions knowing in their mind that they think he's innocent i'm not going to go so i don't know this is interesting one i i get that i would love to hear from you guys about what you feel i would say i'm somewhere in the middle maybe leaning more towards his innocence because of the fact that they weren't having any problems. They just got married four months before. They were planning on getting a puppy. How do you go from that to murdering your wife? We're not talking about like a case like Angela Craig and his and her husband, Jim. They had, they were described by people as tumultuous. They had problems. He had previously poisoned her. That is not the case in this situation. So you're talking no motive. I'm talking as if you killed me. Right. That's what I'm looking at. We have no text to show we were having problems. You would financially benefit from me dying no so why would you suddenly kill me one night it would make no sense it would make no sense can somebody be capable of snapping and 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 murdering somebody yes i would lean towards guilt only because of the facts but at the same time if i would assume he would get out in july 2025 like just let him out let him out of jail let him live his life see his son regardless it would be 14 years of an innocent person behind jail or behind bars my whole thing is what if he is innocent i'm getting so worked up here i'm knocking my microphone so what if he's innocent what if he walked upstairs and his wife was literally unresponsive and pulseless in the bathtub and this poor guy, I'm just saying if, 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 if. I'm you not gotta, saying. Basically, you got to like videotape yourself because you could get stuck in this situation. Man, so it's like, how... holy shit, my wife's dead. I got a videotape. Look, I didn't do anything. Uh, she's here. Yeah, but what's to say that would be the case? You could have started videotaping after the fact. The water would still be in there. So the whole thing is, is if he is innocent, that would suck really bad yeah. to be in jail oh, for absolutely. 14 minimum, 15 years. And then you get out. And then what? Then what does the rest of your life look like when you're a convicted murderer for having murdered your wife? If you didn't touch her, if you walked upstairs and she's in the tub, how awful would that be? First thing I'm doing is writing a book so I can make money on it. Man. Yeah. So, all right. If he's innocent, that just friggin' sucks. Hey, uh, thanks for the research. We'll see what happens. Give us your opinions, please. And um, I wanted to say, if you like what we're doing, um, there's 23 bonus episodes you can have access to right now if you go become a patron. So depending Mm -hmm. on the level that you choose. And I want to say welcome to the Crime and Coffee Couple Club to... Casey and Rose, our new patrons. For, very uh, pretty this week. names. Yeah, very, Lots of pretty, very pretty names. I mean, every single person, it's amazing is how like beautiful inside and out all of our <laughs> patrons. So we're going to give you a lot of those sort of things on our patron uh, podcast. So yes. Come on over. Join us. And thank you all for being here. And, and until, until next time. time.